The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. 2,000 years ago, a child was born who was meant to change the world. Born to greatness, it was a child who would set up a worldwide kingdom of peace for his people. This child was declared by his father to be the heir of all of his power and glory. His kingdom would be described with the word gospel, a Greek word that means good news. And this child would proclaim himself the gospel, the good news for his people and the savior of his people. And he called himself the son of a God. What child is this? Maybe not the one you think. Now, see, this child whose, uh, whose rule and reign was called gospel, this child who proclaimed himself the savior of the people and the heir of his father's glory, that child's name was actually Octavian. Maybe you know him by his more famous name, the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. See, his adoptive father was the great Julius Caesar, and when Caesar was assassinated on the Ides of March, well, Octavian, at the tender age of 19, was thrust onto the world stage. But truly, he was a child born to greatness because by the age of 33, he was the undisputed emperor of the civilized world, and he was given a new name, Augustus, which means the exalted one. You know, during the time of Caesar Augustus, it was a time when, when hope was wafting through the Roman Empire because Caesar Augustus changed people's expectations about what a leader could accomplish and about what a society could achieve. I mean, if you think about it, Caesar Augustus, he, he inaugurated a period of peace in the empire where war stopped. It was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And that meant inside the empire for almost two centuries, there was no war. He built roads across the world that all led back to Rome. He famously found a Roman Republic built out of brick and left it an empire built out of marble. And he called this new world order of his gospel, good news. By the time he died, the empire was at peace and the Roman people worshipped him as a god. Caesar had the kind of power that meant he could move armies and kings like pawns on a chessboard. He could depose rulers and make new lords at will. I mean, literally, if you had looked 2,000 years ago to find a child who could change the world, if you'd looked anywhere 2,000 years ago and looked for a child who was king of kings and lord of lords, well, the whole world would have pointed to this child, Octavian, Caesar Augustus, a child who should have changed everything. And I don't know if you noticed it in our gospel reading tonight, he's the one that started the action in Luke chapter 2. Caesar Augustus issued a decree, and issuing a simple decree, all of a sudden Caesar Augustus made the whole world get up and start to move. Across his vast empire, people started journeying over hill and valley back to their hometowns, all so that the great Caesar could count them and tax them. 
But you know, in the midst of this whole world at move, in the midst of this mass temporary migration, the real mover and shaker was about to enter the scene. But it wouldn't be what you'd expect. Now, far from imperial Rome, far from the purple of empire, far from the riches of power, there was a young woman, a virgin, yet pregnant. She was on the move, moving at the whim of Caesar, but carrying within her the child who was actually destined to change the world. But you know, at first glance, you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to believe it. I don't know, when I hear the account of the birth of Jesus, I'm always struck by, well, how, how unimportant it all sounds. Right? I mean, Mary and Joseph are a couple of nobodies. They can't even find a place to stay. They're stuck in a, they're stuck in a room meant for animals. And then the, the Bible describes the birth in such simple terms, right? She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And I, you look at that picture and you compare it to the other per- person at the beginning of that sentence, Caesar Augustus, Right? Could there be a vast, a vaster difference between, I mean, Caesar, he wasn't just born to power and glory. He was born to riches that are, that are almost beyond comprehension. You know, Caesar Augustus, they figure, is probably the richest person who ever lived, period. I mean, no one comes even close. Like, he had the kind of personal wealth that makes, oh, today's billionaires like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or the Walton family, it makes those fortunes seem small. I mean, historians estimate his personal wealth to be $4.6 trillion. $4.6 trillion. I mean, he owned the nation of Egypt as a personal possession. And this wasn't even Egypt today. This was back Egypt in, in antiquity where it was the crown jewel of the empire, where it was the breadbasket of the Mediterranean. He owned it personally. I mean, he basically accounted for something like 20 to 20, 25% of global domestic product. Let's think about that. That means you, you find every dollar that's made in any country by any person over the next year, so every dollar made by every business, every corporation, every pilot, every mechanic, every doctor, every teacher, every farmer, every foreman, every millionaire and billionaire, and you add them all up, and he would have 20 to 25% of them. It's unfathomably rich. Now you compare that with this, Mary giving birth in a room meant for animals because they couldn't find a guest room. I, when you read those first sentences, you would think that Mary and Joseph and this baby would be relegated to a footnote, especially when they're in the same lines with Caesar Augustus. You could be forgiven for looking in the manger at this infant and saying, you know, what child is this that we're even talking about him tonight? Until you remember, until you remember that that child in the manger wrapped in strips of cloth had more and greater power than Caesar Augustus. That child had greater glory than Rome. That child didn't count his treasures in silver or gold because he held an incomprehensibly large universe within his hands. That child was the son of God who created the cosmos, the son of God whose finger churns the sea and whose breath rends the air. And he had come to earth 
But rather than rub shoulders with the wealthiest man on the planet in Rome, the God of all power and might, one Judean night, shrunk his immensity down, 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 until it was cloistered in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And then the Son of God was born as a baby in a barn in Bethlehem. The one child who would change everything had arrived. And almost no one noticed. I mean, the Son of God showed up into human history in flesh, and nearly no one was aware. God himself slipped into the lake of humanity and barely left a ripple on the surface. I mean, consider that. Consider this. The, the most important event in human history, I mean, the human history, uh, most important event that we still use to divide our calendars, right, between B.C. and A.D., the most important event in human history might have had more animal witnesses than human ones. Think about that. The Son of God was made man to right everything that was wrong in the world, and now he'd arrived, and not only did no one notice, it seemed... Maybe like, like nothing changed either. I mean, couldn't you have expected it? Everything to change when God's promises finally started coming true? I mean, here he was, God in the flesh, showing up to begin writing what was wrong. And now it happened. Couldn't you think that perhaps now is the time things should start changing? If what we just talked about the difference between the God of the universe becoming a child and entering into humanity to be able to begin to keep his promises, wouldn't you think things would have changed? But I tell you what, that baby was born, and on the surface it didn't seem like much changed at all. The tyrant Herod was still in charge of Jerusalem. The Romans were still oppressing all the peoples of the earth. Mary and Joseph, they were still stuck in indignity and poverty. The people of God were still wondering if God was ever going to keep his promises. Shouldn't it have changed? I wonder if Mary and Joseph, when, when this promised child was born, if they, if they stopped and looked around to see, to see if anything was going to happen now that God's promises were coming true. If they listened to see if they could hear the change that must be happening around the world, but if they had, they'd only heard the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of cattle in that little hovel that they were calling their home. And you know, then it could seem like their circumstances proved that the only good news gospel was of the Caesar Augustus sort. The child of Bethlehem, yeah, he didn't seem like he was going to change anything at all. But here's the thing, there are cataclysmic events that can happen that we don't begin to start witnessing until later. Like, think of an earthquake on the bottom of an ocean floor. It might barely ripple the surface until, miles and miles away, a tsunami comes crashing down. Mary and Joseph might not have been able to hear it that night, but there was a rumbling in the deep of things turning over, of everything being made new. But just in case people couldn't hear it, just in case people weren't listening, God was going to send some messengers to let the world know that everything was being turned over, everything was being made new. 
And so an army of angels decamps from heaven, sent by God to announce to the world that a new order, a new era had begun. Where would you send them? I'd send them to the eternal city. Send them to Rome. Send them to a guy who makes Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos' wealth look like a little paltry sum. Send them to the most powerful and wealthy man on the planet. Then we'll get something done. But the angels didn't go to the imperial palace. No. Um, In fact, things were changing. Caesar becomes the one who's just a footnote in the real history of the new world. That verse we hear about Caesar Augustus is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible because he had become obsolete. A new king had come. A new order was being established. A new gospel was about to be proclaimed. One that didn't just talk about good news, but accomplished it. So those army of angels, they didn't go to the emperor, they didn't go to the high priest, they didn't go to the rich or to the powerful, instead to some hirelings working the night shift, taking care of somebody else's sheep. The army of angels came and announced to these poor and lowly people the advent of a brand new world. The angel said, I bring you gospel, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. And this is gonna be the sign to you. You're gonna find this baby in the most unlikely of places, wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly the whole army of heaven burst forth in acclamation to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on men on whom his favor rests. God's saying, you want a king? Look at this king that I'm sending you. Here's a king who left glory to enter your poverty. Here's a king who set aside power to share your humility. Here's a king who would give up immortality that he might die in your place. This is what changes things, okay? Not roads leading to Rome, not marble buildings, not power, not incomprehensible wealth. This is what changes things. We have a God who left glory to descend into the darkness of our brokenness, that he might raise us up out of it, that he might die for you and forgive you of all your sins, fully, freely, forever. The one great change has happened. Christ was born, and he died for you, and he rose for you that you might have eternal life. He made all things new by doing that. Changed it all. I don't have to fear God anymore. I don't have to fear death anymore. I don't have to carry around guilt anymore because I'm forgiven. And I can leave it all behind because my Savior, your Savior, he took it all up. He took it to his cross, and he's ready to take more. You might look around at this broken world or maybe the broken parts of your life, and and you might wonder if, if the coming of this child really changed anything. Oh, but don't forget, the coming of Christ is like an earthquake deep on the ocean floor. You might barely see a ripple on the surface but deep down things are turning over and everything is being made new. Because when Christ came, he ushered in a new age, a new kingdom. Now we don't get to enjoy it all yet. 
because it's not completely ours. We have to wait. But we've heard the rumble. We know it's coming soon. You know, uh, after many years of ruling over the empire, eventually Caesar Augustus did what every man does, and he died. You can actually go see where he was buried in his mausoleum in Rome. It still exists today. His empire lasted for many years after he died, but it, it didn't last forever. And you know what people found out? This child who seemed like he would change the world really didn't change much at all. That Roman peace, it ended. Wars returned. An empire that was built out of marble. You can go to Rome and see the crumbled remnants. The unpeaceful cries across an empire didn't stop. In one sense, you could say that Caesar Augustus didn't change anything. But here's the important point. He wasn't the child who was meant to. The child that was meant to change things? This child, the one in the manger, the one wrapped in strips of cloth, the one who descended into darkness for you and me, that's the child who is meant to change everything. And he promises now that he has, because sin is solved, death is done, guilt is gone. The devil might still cry out in this world, but his cries ring hollow, and they are the last gasp of a defeated and dying foe because this child has changed everything. One day soon, we'll see it all. Glory for God in the highest and peace on earth. Merry Christmas. Amen.